Sanchez to throw. Down the left side to fade. LaVisca's in the end zone. Over the shoulder. Catch is made by LaVisca Chenault. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. How do you cover that man? Between the hashes, moving left to right, locally, shotgun snap, gives the inside handoff, and that thing is blowing up that time. Oh, what a play by Landman. I mean, as soon as it was handoff, Landman was right there, and you can hear the pads popping all the way up here in the broadcast booth. Holy cow, what a play. Takes a snap, dropping the throne. He's got time. Downfield, KD Nixon backpedaling, one-handed crab outside the 20 in the 15-yard line. Oh, what a catch by KD Nixon. Second down for the 16. Coletta, play action. Hit by Terrence Lang, and he's sacked inside the 10 at the 9-yard line. Terrence Lang, there's no better-looking football player Montez Fekana turns a corner, and there he goes. 2015-10-5, touchdown, Steven Montez. Holy cow, he had the fake, and he rolled out to his left, and he was so alone, it looked like he was late for school as he went trucking in. Welcome into a special Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com, here with football analyst William Gardner. William, it's nice to have you on this uh, show. You're kind of our line expert. It's fun to be here. I'm looking forward to doing this. All right. Well, before we get into it, I want to remind you that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Just this past week, the Washington Post named the Everpillow the best pillow of 2018. In case you didn't know, these guys are huge Buff fans, and these amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They are truly fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural feel to get the pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams, all natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and 100-day risk-free trial. EverPillow by Infinite Moon, made by us in Colorado, perfected by you. Infinitemoon.com. That's I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E moon.com. William, let's start off this show by... Just getting your thoughts on the Mel Tucker hire. What was your initial reaction? And as you've gotten a chance to absorb some of the press conferences and things that he said about his philosophies and direction for this program, how does all that sit with you? Well, I'm very excited. I was very excited about it from the start. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of speculation back and forth that Rick George get his guy or was a second or third choice. And I, I don't have evidence to support it, but I have a very strong feeling that Rick George got exactly the guy he wanted right from the start. And I think he, uh, I think Mel Tucker checks every box that you could possibly ask for as, as a coach for the Buffaloes. And, and I think today, it's hard to imagine anybody with a better resume as far as being around championship programs. He's been around Ohio State, he's been around Alabama, he's been around Georgia, and there really isn't any other place where you can get an education on how to build a championship program. We'll get into more of the returning personnel and incoming personnel on both of the lines, but I would imagine you like the fact that he wants to beef up both lines. It's pretty apparent just from a very short sample size with recruiting that he's not going to be recruiting these 250-pound offensive linemen that they're going to try to build up over time. They want these guys to come in, and, and no offensive lineman is going to be ready from day one, but they're going to have more of that mass to them from day one. 
Well, but even more importantly, he comes from the kind of programs where they have 350 pounders, more importantly, who can move. So they're not going to be, you know, we've had big 330-pounders, 350-pounders over the last 10 years, but none of them could move, and they were significantly overweight, and they couldn't get the job done. So not only is he going to beef it up, but I think he's going to increase the uh, athleticism of our of both of our lines as well. And that's really where you start getting excited when you start putting a bunch of 320-pounders just really move out there. That's what Wisconsin does. That's what Alabama does. You know, to some extent, that's what Washington does. And that's a very exciting direction for us to go. Anything else that encourages you about the hire? You talked about his pedigree. We talked about uh, maybe a change of philosophy in terms of the size of the linemen they're going to bring in. Is there anything else that has you kind of encouraged about the program going forward? Well, he comes from a background. He comes from programs that value toughness and attitude. And those are two things that have really been missing, I think. Football, he comes from a background where you play to win all the time. You play at the highest levels. And when I say play, I guess I don't really mean just games. I think I also mean recruiting, where you're going to go after the best players out there. And I really believe that if you're going after those players, you're going to get some of them. If you don't go after them, you're obviously not going to get some of them. So I, I just think that he, I'm very excited about what he's going to do in terms of bringing an attitude to this team. He's going to know what it takes in the weight room. You know, we, we've talked, it, it's not as, it, it's been very interesting to me with our offensive linemen, for example, that they're all under 300. And then the ones that go and try out for the NFL, they're all able to get up to 310 very fast, very easily within about a month of training with somebody else. And so there's not going to be any more artificially keep people small. And we're going to be uh, on the field, going to be aggressive. And that's very exciting. Anything that discourages you? Um, I don't. I don't think so. You know, I, th- I was thinking about it. Um, there's nothing. I, I think the, the future of our program looks really positive right now. I think we've got players coming back. I think we've got coaches coming in. I don't think that Mel Tucker was going to be able to hire the kind of staff that people were talking about on our board from day one because you don't get to bring those people with you from Georgia because. They're not going to take a, probably a pay cut or, or not to come to Colorado and do the same job, something like that. Um, but I'm very excited, and I, and I really don't see any downside to it at this point. Well, if that's the case, then some credit needs to go out to Mike McIntyre, right? Because six years ago, no matter who took this job, you're going to be discouraged about a lot because of where the program had sunk into in 2012. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of. We had a question on our other podcast about why didn't why wasn't Mike McIntyre successful? It's not that he wasn't successful; it's that he wasn't uber successful. It's, he couldn't take that right. next step. Well, you know, I think back to 2012 and that coaching search, and I really, honestly, thought to myself, "What if nobody takes the job? What if nobody wants to come here?" Because it was that ugly as far as what we've done on the field, what our facilities look like, how. Embry left, and a lot of stuff about race and what have you, and it was really, really bad. And I really wondered, are we going to be able to get anybody to come to this job that that is really even remotely qualified? And so I thought we did a really good job with Mike McIntyre. And if you stop and look at where we were then and where we are now, you know, he got us to a ten-win season. He got us to a situation where you look at at um, what Mel Tucker inherits. I made a little list here yet. You got a decent to possibly spectacular fifth-year quarterback. 
You've got a highly versatile Heisman candidate on offense. You've got a legit All-American candidate on the defensive line with Mustafa Johnson. You've got a Buckus Award candidate in Nate Landman. You've got a deep and dangerous wide receiver core, and you've got stars in the making, in my opinion, at linebacker and Taylor Wells and Callier, and some pretty solid pieces on the defensive line in Antoine and Lang. This is not an empty puck. I mean, Mike McIntyre left a lot, and he, he did a lot with it. Now, it became very clear to me, at, at any rate, that he, for whatever, for a variety of reasons, he was not able to get over that hump to get that sixth win. And I have a lot, I have theories about that if anybody's interested, but that's been bandered back and forth on the board, you know, almost to, to, to no end. And so I think there is a lot of credit that needs to go to Mike McIntyre for what he's done here. And, and the other side of that is a lot of credit to Rick George, too, because those facilities that we have are pretty spectacular for really who we are. One thing you didn't mention on that list of things that Mel Tucker inherits is a top-level offensive line. Um, that's the reason they didn't play in a bowl game this year, the offensive line performance. Uh, really, you could say the last two years, um, in, in 17, you had to throw in the D-line. That was a, a group that really underperformed then. What what exactly went wrong with the Buffalo's offensive line in 2018? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You know, I was thinking about this. You, you'd sent me the questions you want to talk about beforehand. I thought I was doing some preparation. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know that something went wrong in 2018. We haven't had a good offensive line here, really, probably since the Barnett. Yeah, they weren't bad in 16, right. but it right. wasn't exactly a stellar group. And and, and so I, I think I would say we had we we had um, serviceable maybe in 2016. One of those kinds mm-hmm. of middle of the road words that they they didn't get us beat. Let's put right. it that way. Yeah. And, you know, we had a we had a couple of offensive lines under Hawkins that were, again, serviceable, nothing spectacular, which is kind of funny since we've got two of the best offensive linemen in the NFL came through here, and yet we didn't have any really super offensive lines on the field. So uh, I don't know that any particular thing went wrong this year. I think it was par for the course of what we've seen for the whole six years. Uh, I, I think... Um, the biggest problem to me, I don't, I don't believe it's talent. I really don't believe it's talent. I don't think that we've got a bunch of guys that are that are could be magically turned into all Americans, but I think we've got a bunch of guys who absolutely could make a solid Pac-12 offensive line. I think the problem we had was coaching. I think the problem we had was attitude. I think that the the fundamentals and the technique were bad. I think that we played out over our feet. I think we lunged. I think that we just were not a well coached line. And I think we got worse the last three years, quite frankly, um, from a high point in 2016. And I think we never settled on our personnel. And there are just a whole lot of different things like that. So like a lot of things that really go wrong, I think it's there. there's no one thing that you point at. I pointed a lot of little things that have put all together, uh, made the whole thing kind of fall apart. Chris Kapalovic takes over as Colorado's new offensive line coach, goes by Cap. What were your thoughts on that hire? I think I think it's a fantastic hire. I think he's a, a really high-level, proven, uh, power five-level offensive line coach. I think he's had two of his offensive lines in the last uh, 
five or six years that were candidates for the best offensive line in the nation. Um, I think he puts a lot of guys in the NFL. Okay, and he's not necessarily getting a bunch of four and five star guys at North Carolina. He turns them into NFL players by developing them over the course of their four and five years with him. So I think he's excellent. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'd say he's the best offensive line coach we've had in the last 10 or 12 years. And I, think, and I would rate him as a better developer of talent than Jeff Grimes. Although I would say Grimes is probably a better recruiter. Jeff Grimes, real plain greatness is he's a one heck of a recruiter. Uh, Coach Cap, I think, is an excellent motivator. I think he's an excellent developer of talent. I think he really focuses on the finer points of technique. And I think that he understands how to teach those things in practice. One of the things that we haven't seen in an offensive line and bold with the entire six years under Coach McIntyre is we didn't have anybody we didn't have anybody ever show up and be mean. We didn't have anybody ever take it to well, the defense. Red Tons had a, a couple moments in there. Well uh, <laughs> which which one are you thinking of? Uh where he body slammed the, the guy, I forget what game it was this oh, last year he got the penalty. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like like one of the things that I look for, so the first couple of years, um, when Sefo Lupo would just get beat, just get beat up, just mm-hmm. get brutalized, late hits, the whole nine yards. And I never saw anybody on the offensive line stand up and get in anybody's chest or anybody's face. They were like beaten dogs. They just, they just didn't have fight in them. And the last two years, they didn't have it either. I never saw anybody step up to, to defend Steven Montez after a bad hit or a late hit or anything else. They just, to me, never had the attitude and, um, there were a lot of technique problems in their pass protection, and they didn't. We didn't come off the ball and really take it to people in the run game. The one maybe criticism there is of Cap is that he is a hard nosed type of coach uh, that's not going to let any guys get away with anything. Uh, but it sounds like that's exactly maybe what this program needed. Well, I, I wouldn't call that a criticism. I mean, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I think it's a criticism. It's just you see some of the. You know, the uh, what's her name? The yeah, that's the, on staff out there at North Carolina. The tweet that came out that yeah, everybody yeah, was yeah, talking yeah. about. It's like, I look at that. You know, okay, that's one person's point of view. But then I go and I look, and I don't see anybody else jumping in to yeah. say, "Yeah, me too." That's what I think too. And what I see is a bunch of his former players jumping to his uh, defense, and um. So it reminds me of uh, when I first came back to Colorado from, from North Carolina. Um, I had a young man that I coached who had offers from all the ACC, and he ended up going to play. I got the fire department going by here. He went. He ended up had, giving all that up to go play football at Princeton, and then the next summer he came out here and he helped me work with my kids at, at the high school where I was coaching. And, and uh, one of the coaches said I was too hard on those kids. And I asked him, I said, Michael, what do you think? He said, I don't think that's the case at all. He said, when you came out and you were yelling at us, getting on us, we knew you cared. And if you came out on the day and you weren't yelling at us, we wondered what we did wrong and why you didn't care about us. And I think that kids understand when somebody pushes you hard, there's a difference between abuse (laughs) and being a hard-nosed coach and demanding things from players. Because players understand that at the end of the day, what you're trying to help them do 
is be a better player, be better at the game. And I think that's what really good players want is to be is to learn how to dominate and win. Again, not that it should go to an abuse point, but if you are an aggressive coach and demanding and and yell and whatnot, and it weeds out some players, that could potentially be addition by subtraction that you don't want to go overboard with that. We saw how that can backfire with the Embry staff. Right. And I don't see that from him. I mean, you know, you watch some of the uh, times when he's mic'd up in practice and stuff, and I, I guess maybe people are on their better behavior. But it's hard to go through a practice even with a mic on and not be who you are. He's not cussing guys out. And what you really also notice is that when he's when he's correcting technique, he's also patting them on the back when they're doing good things. And um, it's amazing how far you can get with players by recognizing what they do right. And I think he's going to do that. And I think he's going to give this offensive line a sense of pride back because I think those guys have been missing that for a long time. And having somebody who tells you, let's go out there and kick some ass. Say that, but... but Let's go out there and kick some ass. And you know, offensive linemen, they have a different mentality than every other player on the team. Because the offensive lineman understands that the only time he's going to get noticed and called out is when he screws up. And when he does things great nine times in a row, nobody can say a word about it. And what they want to do is go out there and, and at the end of the day they want to line up and come off the ball and knock people on their ass. Because really good offensive linemen they want to be physical and they want to play. And when I used to teach off uh, pass protection, I used to teach it, you know, we're not being passive fellows. We're going to get in a good technique. We're going to wait for them to come to us and we're going to punch them right in the chest so that their heads have back. And I think that's what these guys want. They want to be successful as much as anybody else on this team. And I think they're probably pretty tired of being told they're the weak link on this team. And I think he's going to give them a sense of pride back that they've been missing. So let's talk about what Coach Cap is going to inherit on the offensive line. You've got guys that have quite a bit of experience now. You bring back seniors Tim Lenott Jr., Aaron Hagler, Brett Tons, Jack Shutak, Justin Eggers. Juniors, Kerry Cush, Hunter Vaughn, sophomores, Colby Purcell, William Sherman, Jake Moretti, Chance Lytle, Heston Page, Frank Phillip, redshirt freshman Casey Roddick, Cannon Ray and Josh Gines. What kind of jumps off the page there when you look at the guys that are returning on this offensive line? Well, you've got a lot of playing experience. You've got three guys in that senior class who played a lot of snaps. Um, you know, I'm I'm not in the same boat with a lot of people on Aaron Hagler. I think that kid could be a player. I really do. And I look at what he did as a freshman or as a redshirt freshman, and he was super effective. And I just don't buy for a second the party line that was coming out that he was not effective because he put on weight. He'd get fat. He'd get fat. He was in there working hard. He's putting on muscle. And every single day that they're working out in there, Drew Wilson's got him running, doing agilities. And he didn't get slow. His technique is just no good. And that could be fixed. But I look at him as a guy who I think can easily get over 300 pounds and be an entirely different guy his senior year after a spring with Coach Cap, and we'll see what happens. One of the nice things about a new coach coming in is that there are no preconceived notions. Nobody's a starter right now. Everybody's got, and like, you know, one of the things I like that Coach Cap said in his uh, press conference was, in an ideal situation, we'd have a different starting five every day in spring because somebody else would stand out to us. And so that's what I like is that 
And I think he also said he's not going to watch a lot of film and, and, and form a lot of opinions about what happened last year. He's going to look at what they do in the spring. And so that gives the guys a lot of incentive to really bust their butts over the next couple of months to get ready for spring. And I look at Aaron Hagler, and he's a guy who's got every single measurable you could ask for. And he moves pretty well. So I'm not I'm not writing him off at all. I, I expect him to be a starter. I really do, because he's got the experience. You know, he's been going up against the best the Pac-12 has to offer for three years. And you know what? As a fresher freshman, that guy was really good. Really good. And that can, that can come back. I think, he, I think he's still a guy that we keep an eye on. I think Tim Lanott is another guy that, you know, with another year under his belt after that uh, uh, Achilles tendon mm-hmm. injury and no longer limited in terms of what kind of weight he can carry, maybe he comes back at 305 and is an entirely different player as well. He's a guy that I watched last year, and his his issues were technique. They're all technique, particularly in pass protection. Out too far over his feet, lunging instead of sitting and waiting and punching. Um, he's a guy also that I think is going to benefit tremendously from an emphasis on let's come off the ball and go hit people in the mouth in the run game. Um Brett Tons, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I love Brett Tons as a as a kid and a player, but I don't know if he's big enough to play at this level. And I'm not sure he's big enough to play for uh, this coach, but we'll see. Um, Harry Kush is an interesting guy. He, he got to play a little bit last year, started one game, and has the frame, certainly, to be pretty big. So we'll see what he brings to the table. Um, Kobe Purcell, I think, showed enough to me that I believe well, I guess the best way to put it is, uh, is I believe the hype that he can be a very good center. He needs a lot more time in the weight room. He needs to get bigger and stronger. No question about that. But he learned a lot of hard lessons last year being thrown in the fire before he was ready. And now he needs some coaching up. He needs some strength and, and um, get bigger and stronger. Uh, Will Sherman, well, you know, he's a guy that, that, that his future is very bright. I don't think he's tall enough to ultimately be a tackle, but I'd like to see him put on a lot of weight and go back inside and be a guy who just beats people up in the middle. But we'll see. You know, they'll look at him at tackle. I'm sure they'll look at him at every position. The good thing is that he's got a really long reach. Otherwise, right. he wouldn't have a chance. Well, that's the thing. People talk about length. And so, you know, I remember we talked about it a few years ago. That joke about arm length. Who cares about arm length? Well, arm length is everything. That's out. why Mustafa Johnson had the success he did on the D-line. Right. And, and you know, if you go all the way back to way back in history, Joe Garton was an All-American in college, but he couldn't make the NFL because aren't too short. You know, you can't keep people off on you. And one of the things I think people don't understand about offensive linemen is offensive linemen at this level were very often the best player on their team and often one of the best athletes on their team. You get up to this level as an offensive lineman, you will never be the best athlete. And that, that includes freaks like uh, Nate Solder, right? Those guys across from you at this level are 310-pound animals. They're Volkswagen, for God's sake. And the outside linebackers run four or five. So you're never going to beat anybody athletically. So everything at this level comes down to strength and technique. And our technique just wasn't that good. Um, you know, I've talked to other you – know, I've got a – directly from good sources that you know, Drew Wilson was not happy with the strength of this offensive line. And I got to wonder what's going on there because the rest of the team was pretty strong. 
and I wonder why this offensive line was behind in that regard. So, you know, William Sherman, I think, is a guy got to get bigger, got to get stronger. That's going to be the only thing that holds him back. Jake Moretti, uh, I don't know where we are with him in terms of that knee and the drop foot and everything else, but if, if that comes back healthy, he still looks to me like an All-American candidate down the road. Got to get bigger and stronger, but he's not going to have any problem being a 310-pounder uh, as long as he doesn't have a problem with that knee. Uh, Frank Phillip, he's another guy, got the perfect frame for an offensive tackle. But I'd sure like to put him in the weight room a couple of years because he's just not ready. You're going to want the year back at some yeah, point that absolutely. he lost this year. Absolutely. And, and I don't think we need to play him this year because I think we've got other options to tackle. But he's a, he's a guy with a couple more years in the weight room with Wilson. is going to look like an NFL draft pick. Okay. I think he will be an NFL Yeah. Draft. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I think I think he will be. I think Moretti will be. It's, you know, knocking on wood right. with, that, with that leg. Uh, but Frank Phillips throwing, throwing that kid in last year was a waste of a year because he just doesn't have the strength to do it. And it's not fair to him. Uh, he's, he's a unique talent, but he needs time to get there. Um, Casey Roddick is an interesting guy, but he's uh, sort of on the other end of the spectrum. He needs to build, he needs to change his body the way Javier Edwards did. He doesn't necessarily have to get smaller, but he's got to turn a lot of that baby fat into muscle. The good thing is that he, has really good feet for someone his size. The fact that he can right. still maintain the athleticism he does have has, I think he's the biggest sleeper in this whole line group going forward. Right. And, uh, and uh, it really was sad to me when he hurt that knee because I was looking forward to seeing what he did this year. But it's just as well that he can get some time in. You know, so if you go back, if anybody remembers back in the um, uh, Hawkins years, we had a kid named Sioni Tao. Hmm. I'm probably butchering his name. But he was that same size, 6'5", 350-ish. But he was not fast. He was not quick. He could not move his feet. He was slow as molasses. Right, <laughs> in winter, in January. And uh, uh, Casey Roddick is a whole different animal. Casey Roddick, and I don't mean to overstate the case, but Casey Roddick is the kind of guy that shows up at Alabama. It, it, so let me give you a paint of visual here. You, you look at the combine every year, you get these 350-pound offensive linemen from Alabama, and they get out there and they take their shirt off and they're running the 40, right? And it's the most hideous thing you ever saw. And they run a 4-9. It's crazy. It's, a, it's the craziest thing I ever saw. Now, he's not that level, obviously, or he'd be there, but that's what we're talking about is ginormous guys who can really move, and that's what Casey Roddick brings to the table. He's just got to, again, he's got to turn a lot of that into strength and power and explosiveness. But he's a guy that's going to be able to come off the ball and bury people. Uh, another one, Cannon Ray, is a guy that I'm just super stoked about. As, as, as soon as that shoulder is, is better, this is the kind of guy who comes off the ball and is just a dominating offensive guard, dominating offensive guard. So I'm very excited to see what he does. Uh, and those are, those are really the guys coming back that I'm keeping an eye on. I think Chance Lytle has an opportunity. He's shown a things here and there, so he could maybe be a guy. One thing I would tell you about offensive linemen is you don't ever rule a guy out. I remember back with Bill McCartney days, um, uh, I'm blanking on the name, we had an offensive tackle didn't play a lick his entire first four years, and then uh, um, came in as a fifth-year senior and was all big eight. Okay. So you just never know. Um, so... Lytle's another one that I'm interested in keeping an eye on. So there's some guys coming back that I think Coach Cap has, has 
people to work with this spring. There's a lot of groups, a lot of bodies, different deputies. I do not believe that our problems on the offensive line were about to happen the last five years. I just don't believe it. In terms of the guys coming in, Vatafu Saveo from the junior college ranks, American Samoan with, uh, I think even saying mean streak is an understatement. Well, if, if, if you had a camera right now, you maybe you can describe the look on my face when you say his name. Because uh, I got a big smile from here to here. Because that kid, if he's not a starter next year, that guard, I'll, I'll be shocked because he's the real deal. And we were very fortunate to kind of have him be under the radar due to his circumstances. But but he's a guy. You, know, you talk about the big, mean uh, Samoan kids that they have at Utah. This is, this is one of those guys, and he's going to. He, he's. There are moments in his film where. I, I just watch it with a big smile on my face, and I think, man, if you did that off the field, you're probably getting arrested, <laughs> which is what I want from yeah. offensive linemen. So I think that uh, that Va, I'm going to go with that. There you so go. Not to butcher his name. I, I think he's a guy that again is he, is he early entry? He'll be here in January. Okay, so he's going to he's going to give uh, Coach Cap just another piece to work with in spring ball, and it's going to be very exciting to see what he does. With him. You know, the, the other thing that we haven't didn't really talk about, maybe we should have talked about earlier when we talked about the coaching change, is the, the offensive philosophy and the play calling philosophy is going to make a big difference. Because we didn't do our offensive line any favors the last few years in terms of our play calling and how we approached our offense. You know, we were asking them, we were doing a lot of influence trapping, which means you pull a guy to make a guy move on defense instead of going after them and moving them use an offensive line. And I think our offensive play calling was very one-dimensional and not really designed to, to help out an offensive line. But, so that's a thing that I'm looking forward to with this new staff. Let's see what kind of a let's see what kind of a mentality they have on in terms of offense and what they want to do with their offensive line. In terms of the true freshman signees, you have Austin Johnson, Big Salsa. Uh, from Highlands Ranch High School. He's going to be an early enrollee. Jake Wiley from Eagle Crest High School and Valentin Sen from Austria. One thing I do know, having covered Colorado for 16 years in recruiting, is that it's often the offensive lineman that you never expect is going to be the next great thing that often is. David Bakhtiari is a good example there. Well, I would take it one step further and in and, and all the years, you know, so I first came you read in all the years I've been above what looking at recruiting classes you know it's always that guy who's the last recruit that everybody goes why did we sign that guy who ends up being a star I mean Christian Fourier was a guy that said nobody he can't play and he ends up being one of our best tight ends ever uh, uh, Jay Lewenberg was a guy in a super stellar class that everybody said well he doesn't really fit he ended up being two time All-American so it, it's it's not just the linemen. A lot of times these under, underrated guys really show up. With Sen, you know, really, I mean, you look at him and he, he's, he's got the same kind of measurables as Frank Phillips. But what you wonder about is what level of game do they have over there? Okay, has he been hitting them out the way he's going to get? I don't know the answer to this question, but is he going to be able to handle the physicality of American Power five football because over here at this level, big guys are going to smash into you, and not everybody's cut out to do it. 
And now, to some extent, that's a that's a legitimate concern for anybody. So you take all the offensive linemen that come out of the state of Colorado, for example. There are no big defensive linemen or linebackers here. So they don't get that uh, opportunity very often to go up against the kind of uh, linebacker, defensive linemen they're going to see at our level. But still, it's a much more physical game. It's a very physical game here. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they've got on the field in Austria. And so that's a big question mark to me. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got the measurables. He's got the length. He's got the height. He moves really well. Can he be physical enough? And we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I like – he looks good on the hook. Um, Austin Johnson and Jake Wiley, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from them in the last year. They've both gotten bigger. I was a little worried about Austin Johnson in terms of his size. Would he have the frame bulk up to be where we really need him to be? And in his photographs from his official visit, he looked big enough to me then. So I, I think he's grown a little bit in terms of height and frame. Uh, Jake Wiley's senior video is a whole different animal from what I saw from him as a junior. Saw a lot more physicality, put people on the ground. Um, and so I like both of those guys. Um, to some extent, I think they're, they're, I guess I would use the word project, just a loaded word. People don't like that word, but most offensive linemen are projects. You have to develop these guys. So both of these kids have what they need from the size and athleticism. And quite frankly, with Austin Johnson, he's got, but he's got the level of need that I, and so I don't think any one of those three guys is going to play in the next two years. But I think that they're going to be very good down the road. Quan Drake came to Boulder about a year ago and helped turn a defensive line that was a real liability in 17 was a big reason they didn't go to a bowl game that year into one of the team's strengths. And certainly getting a guy like Mustafa Johnson, right. Javier Edwards shedding the weight, getting in better condition. Terrence Lang's improvement, that all played big factors into that. Was there anything else that you saw that kind of led to that improvement on the D-line? Well, it, it was very apparent right from the start that Quan Drake was a very different coach than Jim Jeffcoat. And he had a lot more energy, uh, probably related to this age group of kids a lot more, and was very much more a technician, but also really pumped up fire and, and the desire. And defensive linemen have got to be all about First of all, athleticism, and then you've got to have the size, but then they've got to kind of have that mentality. You know, of, of, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to put it, but they, they've got to be want to come off the ball and just make a play every single time and beat people up and crush quarterbacks and kind of have that jailbreak mentality, I guess, for lack of a better word. And so I think Quandre coming in was a huge improvement over Jeff Coach the last few years. Now, at the same time, we also added. Mustafa Johnson and Israel Antwine with his two starters, which made a big difference. You know, Israel Antwine was not spectacular, but for a true freshman, 6'4", 315-pound kid, he did a heck of a job, and he really did well. He didn't rack up the stats. He wasn't the unblockable pass rusher that Mustafa Johnson is, but he may wind up being there in the long run. Um, and then Mustafa Johnson, to me, is an All-American candidate. I mean, he, would, I think he was first or second in the conference in second, sacks. Yeah, yeah. he was and, only half a sack behind the leader. As a defensive lineman, 
that's ridiculous. That's crazy. That doesn't that's happen. Scheme, yeah. Yeah. And so, he, and, and so he reminds me a lot of Jordan Carroll, you know, who really showed a lot of his junior year and then came on with a draft pick after his senior year, except I think Mustafa Johnson may have a higher ceiling because he's much more mobile. Much well, he actually more, finishes yeah, tackles, right? right? And he's quicker. He, he's quicker. So, um, you know, the guy in the NFL that, that, that I think of when I watch Mustafa Johnson play is Aaron Donald. Now, okay, anybody jumped out my throat. Aaron Donald's one of the top three defensive linemen in the NFL. I'm not saying that Mustafa Johnson is that guy yet, but that's who I see when I watch him play with that quickness and that sort of uh, relentless uh, pursuit of the ball and what have you. And so you, you can't argue with what Mustafa Johnson does. If he's, if he's not a preseason first-team All-Pac-12, then whoever's making those teams ought to quit because he's, he's clearly going to be one of the best defensive tackles in football next year. And then you add to it, um, you know, like you said, Terrence Lang was a lot bigger, and he's a guy that's not even scratching his potential yet because when that guy in a couple of years, 290, 300, he's going to be on ball. And he's gonna, he's got that kind of length and long arm. But he's going to do things that are just ridiculous. So there's a, a really bright future. I think it's quite clear that those three are um, our top three defensive linemen right now. Somebody asked on the board, uh, isn't, isn't Israel Antoine the obvious guy to plug in at the nose? Well, I think so. But he said before he doesn't want to play the nose. But that was back during recruiting time. I don't know where his mind is with that now. Maybe with the new staff, that's something he wants to look at. But it's also not 100% clear to me how much we're going to go with a pure nose and a three-man front either. Uh, but the bottom line is we've got some options up there. If we're allowed in for spring practices, the first guy I want to look out and watch is Jalen Sammy. He yeah. has the size to be a really good nose tackle. He had the knee injury this last year. Losing Javier Edwards, that's one of the bigger holes that they have to fill on this team going right. into 2019. Can Jalen Sammy be that guy if Antoine indeed stays uh, away from that nose tackle position? I think it's way too early to say. I, I, we haven't seen enough of him on the field. You know, he's six foot six, so that's a that's a tall mm-hmm. guy to play the middle of the defensive line. Can he stay low and play with leverage? Uh, I want to see that. We didn't see enough of him before he got hurt, really, to answer these kinds of questions. But we saw enough to be excited. We saw enough to see flashes. And what I want to see is uh, sustained, really kind of being able to take over that position. You know, obviously, I think the first guy in that spot is going to be Lyle Tuoloma, and he's he's a solid, he's a solid, but not spectacular nose tackle. Is he a starter? Well, I think he starts off the spring as the starter. I'm not sure that he's a Pac-12 starter. I think he's a very good depth piece. I think he's the kind of guy that you bring off the bench and, and you don't necessarily get worse. And so that's the, exactly the kind of guy you want to have with your backup. But he hasn't struck me yet as the kind of guy that, that, that is dynamic and takes over a game. Jalen Sammy may be that guy, but I think it's way too early to say. And like all really tall kids coming out of, coming out of high school, he's going to need that weight room time. I mean, he's huge. But he's got to build up the strength and the power to go with it, and he's got to prove that at six foot six he can stay low. There's a whole different thing to be uh, Terrence Lang out of five technique out over a tackle and be six five. 
than it is to be over top of a six-two Sanderson guard at six six foot six. Because if they're underneath you, they're going to win. Well, we saw that with Javier Edwards when he was three hundred eighty pounds. You shouldn't be able to move a man that size, but he was not. He didn't play with good leverage, right. and he's pushed back ten yards on on the play. Right, and then he got then he got his technique right, and he got he got his pad level down low, and all of a sudden he can't be moved. I mean, the transformation of Javier Edwards this year is one of the more stunning one-year transformations I've seen in college football. And I think anybody, any any one of these guys on this team could do that. And I think we have a strength coach that can deliver that kind of result. And I'm very excited to see what Jimmy Brumbaugh and uh, Chris Cap, Bill Cap <laughs> can do with these guys. So Quan Drake follows DJ Elliott to Lawrence. That was maybe the one guy that was lost off the staff that CU fans were the most concerned about losing. How big of a loss do you think it was? I don't know. I, I'm inclined to say it's not a loss at all, and, I've been, and here's why I say that. Quan Drake, very clearly, is an excellent on-the-field coach. Remains to be seen if he's a recruiter or not. Um, he has the personality where I think he should be good at it but he hasn't really delivered on it yet. He's very young and very new in his career. And, you know, so going to work for a guy like Les Miles is probably a good move for him. Broaden his experience a little bit. Jimmy Brumbaugh comes in, and he is an experienced, respected Power 5 coach. So he's going to do a good job with developing our players. And so are we really... I guess the question is, how big of a loss is Quan Drake? You have to turn it around and say, well, how good of a job is Jimmy Brumbaugh going to do? Because if he comes in and he does a good job, then it's no loss at all, right? And Jimmy Brumbaugh has done a lot of good things, and I'm excited to have him on board. One thing he brings to the table that I think people are not really uh, taking for the positive that it really is, is he was an assistant strength and conditioning coach at LSU the year they won a national championship. And that, that's a, there's a couple of things in that statement. Number one, he was on a championship staff, okay? And so he knows what it takes to do that. But he also has a background in strength and conditioning. In addition to uh, being a defensive line coach, he played nose tackle at Auburn. So he's got firsthand experience playing at this level, playing that position. And so I just think he brings a lot to the table. Uh, I'm excited for Quan Drake. I think he's going to be one of those guys down the road that's a really good coach. But I think we've got a really good replacement. So from that perspective, I'm not sure that it's a loss at all. Before we get into the Buff Stampede mailbag, real quick, take a look at the incoming personnel on the defensive line. And certainly another name or two could be added to, the list, added to this list as we uh, venture closer to the regular signing period in early February. They signed... Two guys from Heinz Community College, Jeremiah Doss and Janaz Jordan, and two true freshmen, or two uh, guys that are going to be true freshmen, 2019 prep signees, Naeem Rodman, Austin Williams. Let's start with the JUCO guys. Uh, did you get a chance to watch their film? I did, but let me let me real quick mention another guy, I think, who returning Tava Fena. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that's going to be in the mix okay. this, this spring as well. We'll see what he brings to the table. Um, moving on to the, to the incoming guys, uh, Jeremiah Doss is kind of a tweener. You know, he, he's, he's, he'd be great size for a defensive end in a 
four man front and an even front where he's kind of out as a pass rush or what have you. Where he is right now, uh, certainly he can play. He's, he's not the massive guy that we've had at those positions. I think he weighed in about 260, 265, so he probably needs to bulk up a little bit, but he's certainly very quick. He uses his hand for really well. So they're going to have to figure out where he fits in best, and, and he may be a guy that doesn't necessarily come in and he's a starter, but he's a, the package player. So in other words, you want to go to your pass rush package, you put him in there in certain places, or you want to go to your four-man front, you put him along those defensive ends, which gives you some flexibility in terms of what you can do on the defensive front. So I think he's a good addition. I'm excited about him. Um, and again, it, our, he's, he doesn't come till summer, right? Jeremiah Doss comes in in uh, January. Okay. Janaz Jordan does not arrive until the summer. Okay, so that'll be a real benefit for Doss to come in here and have all of winter conditioning to work with Drew Wilson and get out there on the field and practice. So I'm excited about him. Janaz Jordan is just a massive, he's just a really, you know, they list him at 305, but I think uh, Coach Tucker said on signing day that he is more like 315, 320. I mean, he's just a huge hit. He doesn't stand up straight, plays with pretty good leverage, and he strikes me as a, a very physical, violent hit. And I think he was, if I remember correctly, these guys were, were guys that that uh, uh, Coach Brumbaugh Correct. was going to bring into mm-hmm. North Carolina. And so we were, you know, he was at Maryland, at Maryland. Excuse me. We're going to bring these guys into Maryland, so we benefit from that. So uh, they're both guys that our new defensive line coach likes in the scheme that he's going to be using. And bringing in a, that kind of size with Jordan it is going to give us, again, more options and more depth what he does. It, it, it'd be a lot better for him if he could get here for January, but that's not how it's going to work out. So we'll have to get him in the summer and see what he can do for that first year. Austin Williams told me that he weighed in at 330 pounds on his official visit to CU. It's hard to evaluate him just because of all his high school film as, as an offensive tackle, and he's very upright in, in those clips. And It's hard to Mel Tucker did work with him as a defensive lineman at a Georgia camp last summer, as, as well as Tyson Summers. Right, and, and I think that's the key, that's the really key point here, is that they have seen him in their, their November fire department. Um, that's really the key to me, and that's always been something that I think is a benefit. So you take Mel Tucker and Tyson Summers, and they are guys that have been on a defense that is really one of the best defenses they know what they're looking for. And so when they work with this kid on the field, you know, they put him through their drills and they put him through uh, defensive line drills and, and they like what they've got. And, and me, he's a guy, again, like um, that, we were, that we were just talking about, uh, Dale and Sammy, who you can't coach size and he can move. And so let's see what they can do to develop him. They're going to have to teach him how to play with the pad flow and he's going to have to get in that weight room and build up size and strength. But he's another guy, I think, that just brings that tremendous size up front on defense and I think can really help us there. Any thoughts on Naeem Rodman? Rodman, have you seen him in person? Not in person. I I, I suspect that he's another one like Mustafa Johnson where he's probably six feet, maybe six one, and that's probably what held him back to get more offers. You know, he played at that... uh, program out there. They just have so much talent. He played behind a guy who's throwing shot foot now at, at Stanford mm-hmm. who, who 
we tried to get to come play for us, Dallas Bina. Um, and he's really stout and stocky and, and plays with really good movement, uses his hands really well. And I think he's another guy that in the middle of the line, I think he's probably going to, he played nose guard in high school, but I think he fits with a lot better in that same position where Mustafa Johnson played that three technique, kind of going over to the guard, that love says make plays. I think he's also a guy that's going to need a, a couple of years in the weight room and really learn technique, but I think he's also a guy that's going to really help us on, out down the road. A reminder that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Everpillow by Infinite Moon. It isn't just Buff Stampede Radio that's lauding Everpillow. The Washington Post ran an article on its top 13 household products they saw in 2018, and the Everpillow was included. My family uses the Everpillow. William, uh, we got to get you an Everpillow. Uh, How are you sleeping these days? Pretty, yeah, you know, I, I, I pillow, the pillow is the biggest problem for me. It's the right. one that, that's got the right firmness and holds my big square head up. Right? <laughs> well, the Ever Pillow, it, it really is a great product. It's a company ran by huge buff fans, and these amazing pillows are made right here in Colorado. They're customizable to match your sleep style. A lot of those so called luxury pillows use chemicals, memory foams, and cheap poly foams, not the Ever Pillow. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now with InfiniteMoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and 100-day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon, made by us in Colorado, perfected by you. InfiniteMoon.com. That's I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E Moon.com. Jumping into the Buff Stampede mailbag, 6635 BAM asked, You guys have discussed the defensive line in previous podcasts. Can you please elaborate on why? Antoine is not already being penciled in as a future nose. If he's already 13, 315 pounds, why not put him, put 10 pounds over the offseason and have him man that spot? Seems to me the best front we could put on the field next year would be Lang, Johnson, Izzy. What am I missing? Well, I don't think you're missing anything. I mean, I, I agree with you 100%, but what I distinctly remember from his recruitment was that Israel Antoine said he doesn't want to play to nose. Now, I don't know where he is with that today, and maybe with a new staff coming in or a new uh, new uh, approach to our defense on, for our team, maybe he wants to reconsider that. He's certainly big enough to play the nose. be the most obvious choice to me at this time, but then again, maybe Jalen Sammy is that guy. So uh, I think it remains to be seen what we do in, in spring ball with some of these guys and see who develops. Go Buffs 80 asked, a question to me about the coaching hires Mel Tucker has made. Definitely check out uh, the other podcast that Tyler Ziskinen and I recorded. We kind of shared our thoughts on all that. He did have a question for you, William. Uh, it is, what current and new players get you the most excited about the 2019 offensive and defensive line? Well, if I had, if I could only pick one guy on either side, it's going to be Va Tofu Salveo on the offensive line. Good job there. Did I get that? Not too bad. I, yeah. Uh, who knows if I'm getting it right either. Well, if I ever meet the kid in person, I'm going to call him Sir. Cause <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, a good survival technique. So on the offensive line, if I only could pick one guy, that would be who it was. And on the defensive line, you got to go with Mustafa Johnson. I mean, man, the guy had a just a phenomenal season. It, it, what he did as a defensive lineman this year is, is kind of crazy. And so I'm really excited to see how he follows it up as a senior for those two. Other guys, um, obviously Israel Antoine and Terrence Lang on the defensive line. And then for me personally, uh, we're talking more maybe down the road potential here, but Dick Moridi and Cannon Ray and Will Sherman, man, you know, I, 
I have visions in my head of those guys three years down the road or however many years it is when they'll be 50 or seniors. And, and man, I, that could be a really good line. So those are those are some guys. And I got to tell you, I, I'm still pretty excited to see what Hagler and Lanot do in there. Buff Predictor asked, Happy Holidays. Among the returning offensive linemen, who do you see as having the best frames upside for filling out and becoming the big physical players that Tucker is seeking? Looks like Roddick is already there. And Hager already tried but struggled with the added bulk during the 2017 season. Who will struggle, who will benefit, etc. Also, whatever happened to easing Moretti along in 2018? He was playing snaps early, then playing time disappeared completely. Thanks. All I know on Moretti is that they said he just wasn't right. I mean, I'm not a doctor. Uh, It's such a unique type of injury, and I think you have to error on the side of precaution with something that includes nerve damage. Well, and I think if you're talking about drop foot where you don't necessarily have a lot of control over what your foot does, you cannot play offensive line with that going on because feet is so important at this level. So I don't have any more information than you have as far as that goes, but I also haven't heard anything to suggest that things aren't coming along the way they're supposed to be. Some of the flashes we've seen from him, given what he's had to come back from is pretty incredible. Right. Well, you see what he can squat given what he had, you know, when he had that knee surgery. It, it, I can't help but be pretty excited about this guy. And so I think we all just got to kind of wait and see and, and see how it plays out. But he's certainly a kid with a fantastic work ethic and do everything he possibly can. And we just have to wait and see how it plays out. Any thoughts on uh, other parts of his question there? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to take issue, I think, I, I, again, with the whole Hagler struggle because he got big. I think his technique went downhill. I think that, and maybe it's really controversial, but I think after a year with um, Bernardi, he had decent technique as a, as a redshirt freshman, and then each year after that, he got worse. And I don't believe it was because he got bigger. I just don't buy that. He didn't get fat. He didn't get overweight. You know, they're doing all kinds of work on agility and movement, what have you. But what I saw was his technique going steadily downhill. And then added to that was there was a point in there where his confidence just was gone. And you cannot play offensive tackle, especially in pass protection, don't have that confidence. Um, so I think he's a guy who can easily get bigger and, and kind of be a guy who fits that mold, that bigger kind of guy. I think Moretti and Sherman. Terry Kutch, uh, Lytle Phillip, Lytle, Chance Lytle, uh, Frank Phillip, and Cannon Ray are all guys who can easily bulk up and have the frame get a lot bigger and play well with that added size. And it's going to be very interesting to me to see uh, how Drew Wilson goes about making that happen with those guys because you look at the defensive line last year, and he had phenomenal success with those guys. So I don't have any reason not to believe he won't have the same with these offensive linemen. I, I, I think we got a lot of guys that we can really work with going forward. Got a couple more questions, and then, William, we got to get out of here. I got to get over, we got to get over to Blake Street Tavern. <laughs> I get some cheese curds in our life here. Uh, Buff Predictor also asked, why do we welcome back trolls to the message board, and why do people keep responding to their posts? You are an active uh, poster on the Inside the Herd message board on buffstampede.com. Uh, do you have a take here? Well, I, I wrote I wrote down, uh, reflect, bounce this one back to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I believe, I, I feel like our board is very open to all 
kind of opinion. Um, Depends on the day. <laughs> well, you know, look, the fact that somebody puts an opinion up and a lot of people don't agree with it doesn't mean that that opinion is not welcome there. It's the whole point of the of the board is to have conversation. And if somebody puts up something and other people don't agree with it, those, both of that's two different opinions and they're having a discussion, which is sort of the whole point of the board. Right. Right. Um, I think there are other people who put things up just to get a rise out of people. Right. And I think it's pretty obvious. I think I think we all know them to see it. Um, you know, I don't know if I should name names. I, 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 don't, I don't think Ralph is one of those guys. I think he's just someone who wants We're to really getting into argue now. <laughs> his point to, to, the, to the ultimate last word. And that's, that's fine. But uh, as far as who gets to keep uh, staying on the board, I don't know. That's your, that's your decision. <laughs> I can say, fortunately, I can count on my hands the number of people we've had to ban in the last decade. It, it is, you know... It, but it's when those people come out of the woodworks, they kind of take over the board in a lot of posts and threads. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a face that, I guess, that won't work for radio. Jacksimus had this to say The Wisconsin and Miami game was a blow up. Badgers only had to throw the ball 11 times, rush it 58 times, controlled the clock, and dominated on defense. Wisconsin seems to build a team like this every year. Are we capable? capable of building a team similar to Wisconsin's with a big offensive line and dominant running game. Does it make sense to buck the trend of the Pac-12 and resemble more of a power running offensive system? Does it make recruiting sense to become one of few power five teams in the Western United States to run that system considering many of our competitors wouldn't be targeting the same type of players we need, such as dual threat quarterbacks? Well, it, the question, are we capable of doing this? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Is that going to be the focus of our new offensive coordinator, our new offensive line coach? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Well, they cert- we know that they want to get bigger up front. Right. We know that they want to have a power running game. So that would fit in right. line with some of this uh, person's desires for, for this program going forward. And I, and I think that that's a very – you look at those teams. I'll take you back to Bill McCartney. And uh, in his first couple of years, you know, they were trying to be a passing offense. And didn't end up working, and they went to being a smash-mouth wishbone offense. And, and a couple of years later, he was interviewed, and he said one of the unforeseen benefits of that was that being that smash-mouth offensive team made the defense a hell of a lot tougher. That if they had to face that in practice every day, that made them a better defense and then made them more physical and tougher on game day against the other team. So there's there's benefit there. But does it make it harder to defend spread teams then if you're not facing that practice every day? Well, you're going to face teams that, I, first of all, I don't I don't necessarily buy into the whole Pac-12, all the Pac-12 teams to run the spread and throwing the ball downfield because I'd say there's, there's a decent percentage of them that are not. You know, Utah, Southern Cal, Washington, these are not. Stanford. Yeah, Stanford. Stanford. These are, these are lineup punch you in the mouth teams. Okay, so it's not every team, and even even the teams that are not getting those huge linemen and run it down your throat are not necessarily spread throw the ball a hundred times a game. Team. You know, some of some of these teams don't really have a, a real offensive identity, um, and I, I just don't know that that stereotype about the Pac-12 is really true. That being said, does it make sense? Makes a, makes a lot of sense to me to start getting those kind of offensive linemen 
and be able to run downhill when we want to, and you stop us. And when you stop us, then we'll be able to throw the ball. Now, when you've got guys like uh, LaVisca Chenault, you obviously want to throw the ball downfield to those guys, too. But it sure is fun to watch a Wisconsin, well, to me, not to everybody, but it sure is fun to me to watch a Wisconsin or an Alabama um, or Utah, teams like that, just line up and say, hey, we're going to run it right there, and you can't stop it. And when you've got that kind of powerful running game, that makes you a tough team, and then that opens up a whole lot of different things because they got to do a lot of things to try to offset that. So can we do it? Yeah, I don't see any reason why we can't. There are certainly a lot of linemen in this state, and, it's, and frankly, it's a lot easier to bulk up these guys and teach them how to run block than it is to teach them how to pass protect. So I don't have any problem with that. I, I think that's a great idea, and I'd love to see us do it. Well, I think that's about as much of a breakdown of the lines as we can do on a podcast at this point prior to spring ball, maybe revisit some of these topics after we get through these 15 spring practices. But before I sign off, William, uh, I want to get your expectations for the Buffaloes in 2019. Obviously a really tough schedule they have coming up. Tyler and I were talking on a recent podcast that our prediction today, if you stuck a gun to our head, both of us would have been six and six. Uh, what are your expectations? Do they rise above that? Or are you willing to give Mel Tucker time before setting the, any type of expectations on him? Well, I give, I, given a, a lot of the players that will return on this team, and some of the higher level, we, we've got some really high level talent on this team. We've got some depth issues. We've got a lot of question marks on the offensive line, certainly. But given some of the guys we got back on both sides of the ball, we have to go to a bowl. We have to go to a bowl game this year. If we don't get to a bowl game, to me, it, 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 we will fall significantly short of what I expect. Beyond that, it's kind of too early to tell. We don't even know what our coaching staff looks like yet. We're, we're not really clear on what our offensive defensive uh, styles are going to be yet. We don't really know who a lot of our starters are going to be yet. But I still look at this team, and I think given where this coaching staff comes from and given who they inherit on this team, I think eight wins is realistic. You know, we'll know a lot more after spring ball and as we go through summer about what we have on this team. And we're going to have to see how well this coaching staff meshes together because they're coming from a lot of different places. And, and, you know, to go back to that, a lot of people have a lot of beef about taking a lot of these guys from, from Georgia. I don't mind that because it gives us it gives us continuity of some guys that have worked together, okay, rather than bringing pieces from here and pieces from there and everybody's got to figure it all out. At least we've got some guys that work together. And that makes a big difference on the staff. So, I don't know, right off the bat, without knowing a lot of things I need to know yet, I'm looking for a win. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, William, I really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, schedule to join us. I, I feel like this was a good breakdown, kind of a, a change of pace a little bit for Buff Stampede Radio. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too painful for you. No, I, I enjoy doing this a lot. I have a lot of fun with this. All right. We've well, got, we got to get back in the film room with, with recruits once we start to identify some of those guys. The Buff Stampede film room will be brought back for sure. Yeah. We'll start diving into some of those 2020 top targets on the lines as we get more information in terms of uh, recruiting going forward. Thanks to all of you for tuning in to this special Buff Stampede Radio.